Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome to Hope and Patience. It's me, Amelia Rope, ex-chocolate creator, now podcast creator and your host. If you're new to Hope and Patience, it's great to have you here. A huge hello and thank you. We're going to be exploring, delving into the stories of founders and dipping into pearls of wisdom from wellbeing experts. The guests will be inspirational and the precious insights shared guaranteed to be absolute gems. So today I have a very super talented lady. She is a co-founder of an award-winning natural skincare company with her sister, So my guest today is the wonderful Rebecca Hopkins, co-founder of Balance Me. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. Thank you for having me. So we met back in 2015 and it was over Rose. That's right. It was a Rose chocolate bar that I'd created and we did a a competition, I think it was. I think it was Mother's Day or Valentine's Day. I can't remember. I think it was Mother's Day. With your amazing Rose products. So Rebecca is a woman of chapters like um, most of my guests. Her background was in the corporate world, then I think qualifying as a reflexologist. That's it, yes. And then with Claire, your sister, going and doing wellbeing events because she was a qualified yoga teacher. Yes, so she started off as a management consultant, um, went to a mobile startup, but following a blood clot, she had a sort of a reassessment of her life and decided she wanted to take some time out and go travelling. But rather than just go traveling without a purpose her purpose was yoga so she learned the practice um, with lots of different teachers around the world wow and she's never had any more problems no absolutely not no two children later all good so then from there you went to set up balance me in 2005 and from what i gather you were a pop-up shop in top shop that's correct so um my love of beauty started um well, really with gardening and and, um, L'Oreal was where I started my trade. Trained as a reflexologist, as you said, um, because I was looking for a a bit of a something, a challenge, a new challenge. Also, it was a really stressful environment. And that was at the same time that Claire was studying yoga, got back together, started our um, well-being events business. And what we would do for our clients would be to make um, some oils or foot scrubs to give us gifts. Everyone wanted to take a slice of the well-being home. And with my marketing PR background, I also knew that gift bags was um, something everybody really enjoyed. And it was a great marketing tool. And it was one of our clients at the time, Topshop, who um, actually approached us and said, look, we love these foot polishes, these peppermint foot scrubs that you've made us. And we're about to launch our shoe store within a store. Can we buy 200? And I remember seeing pound signs in my sister's eyes because she's (laughs) the commercial one of the two of us. And I said, Claire, we cannot sell product that we've been making in the kitchen. We just can't do it. You know, we haven't not health and safety etc but it gave us the drive and the determination and the confidence really to actually think we could potentially turn this into a business so we found a UK manufacturer we worked with a designer came up with branding and actually went back to Topshop and said look we can't sell you the original um, foot polishes but here's a curation of seven products and what do you think and they loved them and gave us a pop-up in Oxford Circus in their flagship store in 2005 September brilliant time run up to Christmas and I don't think I could have planned a PR or a market sort of research 
project better because it was really at a time where all the um, opinion formers were flocking to see what the next big thing was. So um, it was great. And so clever. I mean, it's incredible to to, to set up to what well, create the product, and the product was the one that that did the talking. Absolutely, and I think we were very ahead of the curve because it was way back when even well-being, because our original business was all about well-being in the workplace. So it's at a time where that just didn't really exist. Um, and then natural products again, quite ahead of the curve because people weren't, you know, the industry wasn't really behind it customers weren't really behind it but Claire and I had this joint passion that we really believed in the power of aromatherapy and also bioactives that there were ingredients out there natural chemistry that would be um, as powerful if not more powerful for solving skin concerns and I think really the reason we started on our well-being journey anyway was because both of us were experiencing health issues skin issues um, really you know just thinking what is the next step in our career we don't want we want to kind of jump off the wheel but then we want to jump back on again but with a new a new kind of passion and so what we were able to do was turn our passion into a business which was really exciting and then obviously having the support of retailers such as Topshop in order to give us that exposure. Yeah, it's amazing to be ahead of the game. I remember when I qualified as an aromatherapist, people thought, and I said it was an aromatherapy massage, they thought, ooh, it's a bit dodgy. Yeah. It's a bit, and it's like, no, it's not at all. And now your stockists include Boots, Marks & Spencers, John Lewis, Whole Foods, Waitrose. I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing what you and Claire have created. Well, I think what was exciting was that when we were in Topshop with our pop-up shop, we sort of were in a way looking at new ways to market um, but being there and working there allowed us to actually meet our customer and our customer was carrying the John Lewis, the um, Harvey Nichols, the Selfridges bags and John Lewis actually spotted us in there and offered us nationwide distribution at the same time that Harvey Nichols did too but with Harvey Nichols it was very much get have three stores exclusive. John Lewis was nationwide distribution um, from the following year and we're two girls from Yorkshire and we were very much like let's go for full distribution. We've always wanted our products to be really accessible. For us we feel that if you don't use good products every day you don't see the benefits so we really wanted to pitch ourselves in that mastige arena where the products were really luxurious amazing texture really cutting edge formula great smell obviously aromatherapy but could be affordable um, and John Lewis was a great first partner for us. It's incredible. So moving back, being in partnership with your sister, your parents, were they like, oh, my God, both of you are going into business together? And, you know, I mean, that's a very close-knit thing, isn't it, going in with a family member? Absolutely. So we've always been a very close family. We were living together in London, actually, when um, we were working. I was at L'Oreal, Claire was in consulting. And I was actually married when we, um, or getting married when we started our first business. Um, I had my second daughter just as we were launching Nationwide in John Lewis. And I think that we've had this, we've always had this really close bond. We're very, we share the same values. And I think that's really important when you pick a business partner. But also we've got very different complementary skills. Um, so that's really helped the business. And I think 
we trust each other implicitly. We know when one of us is going to have the say. So, you know, it depends on the decision that has to be made. Um, but we've never regretted being in business together. And Claire's now married. We've both got two children um, each. Mine are a bit older, obviously teens now. And I think that's also helped too, because being women in business, there is you know, one has to sometimes factor children in and we've been able to support that journey. And I think that's the other great thing about having your own business. You are in charge of your own destiny. And you I think are. it helps with um, that whole juggle of, of motherhood, relationships, um, family, etc. Do you have boundaries though? Do you have that sort of switch off thing where you are definitely sisters and then there's other times where you're definitely business partners? Absolutely. There is another sister actually. She lives overseas oh, really? in Singapore um, and Zova every summer and we all get together. And I think when we're together on family holidays or family occasions such as Christmas, birthdays, there is that sense that we just don't talk business and the sort of family thing takes over. But we, when we're together, obviously, we're always exchanging ideas and I think we feed off each other too. So there's a, there's a great, um, there's, there's always an art, isn't there? You hear lots of different people, people who are in business with their um, partners, husbands, wives, etc. And I think you have to have that understanding um, and have to respect boundaries, but sometimes you can't help crossing them. So um, I think we've 15 years or even 18 years actually since we originally started our business and we were living together before that, we're fairly used to each other. Yeah, you must be yeah, used to each other. agree to differ quite <laughs> so often. So the, the um, landscape of women in business has changed a lot. I mean, certainly I set up after you guys, 2007, but what I've been chatting to, uh, chatting about on my podcast is it really was very different. And um, I was listening to um, a fantastic podcast actually, um, Called, uh, by a comedian called, uh, who's called Viv Grosskop and the podcast is How to Own the Room and she mentioned someone she knows who used to wear a woman who used to wear aftershave and suits. I mean, I remember being suited. That that yeah. gave you. But I mean, do you remember those days? And, and how do you feel it's changed now? Has it created more challenges or? It's so interesting. When we had our original business, our wellbeing events business, we were doing a lot of um, kind of corporate events for very high net worth individuals, sort of banking clients, um, law firms. And these very high powered women would turn up at this property in Knightsbridge that we turned into a day or an evening spa. We'd have lots of therapists and they'd come and they'd be quite, you know, you could feel that aggression and they'd arrive and we'd sort of say, look, here's a menu you can choose facial, massage, you can have a manicure with your guests, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, you could just see them decompressing and starting to relax and it would get to the end of the evening and they'd kicked off their shoes, they're sort of, they'd come very suited and booted and they were discussing fashion and, and all sorts with their with the sort of other people there. And, and it was really refreshing to see that actually women could relax and they shouldn't feel embarrassed to relax and to have a spot of pampering amongst other women. Because I think then, 18, 15, well, pre-15 years ago, it, it just didn't seem, women didn't seem to be allowed to be women. And the landscape's really changed now. And I think certainly in beauty, we've seen tons of entrepreneurs. There's so many that are women. We're lots, we've got really great friends who are um, we're sort of in similar businesses. And it's really refreshing to see. But definitely there's been a switch. And now almost away from suits and, you know, everything goes. And almost you don't want to be too smart because I think sometimes you're not taken as seriously if you're seen to be too kind of businesslike. I think that it loses the creative edge. 
Um, so it's very, it's very fascinating. I think a lot has changed in the last 18 years. But still, I think there's not quite enough that's done to support women. So it's really refreshing to see that there's a change now. And certainly we bank with Nat West and Claire was part of Alison Rose's Rose Review. Oh, wow. And I think that's been a real eye opener for um, sort of the economy and to actually look at taking female entrepreneurs a lot more seriously um, and sort of back us and give us more um, support where it's needed. I think it's really good as well that we have characters. We 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 can show our character in our dress or the way we chat rather than this formalised life. Anyway, enough on that. So when you set up your business, there weren't many people in your area, or I don't remember many people in your area, in your arena. Do you feel that the the sort of why of when you set up the problem that you were solving then is still the same problem that you're solving or has it changed and are you trying to solve a new problem within the industry? So we've always been about solving skin concerns and I think what's quite interesting and exciting for Claire and I is because we've been around for quite a number of years and there's a lot of credibility there. We've won over 60 awards. As we've got older, our skin needs have changed, our family skin needs have changed, and we've been able to take advantage of innovation over that time. So you know, in the beginning, it was about addressing our skin sensitivity, you know, um, stress, maybe some hormonal outbreaks. Then as we've got older, it's motherhood, sleep, you know, sleep deprivation. We've got this amazing eye cream, you know, and now it's hormonal changes. Our parents are getting more elderly. Our customers have got different needs. And so I think we've really been able to um, harness that in our innovation. And it's what's driven that and also driven our you know, continued interest in, um, in product, sort of new product development. And so there's always going to be skin concerns. But I think if we look at it as or we've always looked at it as life stages rather than anti-aging or whatever, um, we've always got something that will address a need. And I think that's very important and will never change. Is it difficult to um, remain unique with so many people doing it, saying that they're natural? And I question the word natural. I feel it gets banded around very readily, a bit like the word luxury or premium. But how, I hate the word USP, but is it is it challenging, that whole thing of, of keeping your differentiation? Absolutely. I think, as you said, when we started, there wasn't so much competition. Now, there is literally a new launch, or it seems to be a new launch every week. There's a lot of greenwashing out there. And I think what Claire and I take heart in just is Just explain for the listeners in case they don't know what's greenwashing. It's just basically a lot of... There's not a lot of regulation in the industry to say um, what's natural or what's clean. I think clean is the, um, is the term really now that's used the most. And for us, we've always been very honestly natural. So we've always displayed the percentage natural of our products on our packaging... We have a promise that we adhere to. So what what we don't put in is as important as what we do put in. Um, and I think that now you see so much, you know, we're vegan with this, with that um, sustainability. But there's nothing to say you have to pass a particular standard. So wow, it's very confusing for the consumer to know, have they, you know, 
even just I don't think a lot of customers don't understand the ingredient list, the inky list at the back, but very much if the key ingredients are the things that appear at the top. So there's just not enough regulation and there's a lot of um, promises out there. And I'm not saying that, you know, we would never knock other products. I think it's up to the individual to do their research and choose products accordingly and try things and see what works for them. But I think where we really stand out, I believe, is that we've always been credible and honestly natural. And what we've had to do as we've adapted over the years is to look at branding and identity and obviously stay fresh. So last year we rebranded and we've now got these sort of very a beautiful logo, which is perfectly balanced, reminiscent of weighing scales. We've got our two circles that sort of represents our science nature, two sisters, the well-being, the physical and the mental. And I think it's about staying fresh in the communication and just letting customers know as much as possible about the brand so that they can make an informed choice, but certainly being honest. I think that's what's key for us. Do you think that there will be legislation that will come in? I'm presuming that will flush quite a few out of the I think what it's ocean. more about is that there's just more and more people talking about it. So it's it's navigating your way through to understanding what does, you know, what does clean beauty mean? You know, does it mean no parabens? Does it mean that it's vegan? You know, when people talk about sustainability and sustainable packaging, you know, what percentage of the packaging? And I think it's just up to each brand to just be honest. So for us, for example, with sustainability and with packaging, with our rebrand, it gave us the opportunity to really look at all of our componentry and to... Um, use as much sort of monoplastic we use 50% post-consumer recycled plastic in our tubes we're using as much glass as we can but obviously a lot of glass comes from China so you have to think about what's coming from where Um, and we on all of our packaging both our outer packaging and inner packaging we're really clear to explain to the consumer how they can recycle obviously according to their own um, individual sort of local council etc so I think it's just about being really clear with consumers as much as possible so that they know right if I'm buying into that brand that's what I'm buying into and so as far as a USP goes I think there's always you know everyone's always saying well I'm this I'm that for us it's about solving skin concerns you know providing really hard-working products that will um, that work um, and being as sustainable and as consciously, honestly natural as we possibly can be. Do you think there are a lot of beauty fads? I mean, every every weekend there's a new thing that we should all be into. Does, is that a challenge in the way that you've got to keep up or do you sort of switch off from that chatter and just think we're going to keep on and if we feel that we want to create a product to match that fad we'll do it there's yeah there's a lot of noise it's true and I think with this digital age social media it's it's trying to keep up and you have to play a certain game but for us it's just about staying true to what we believe in and making sure that we communicate the benefits of our products um, accordingly and not you know, not jumping on bandwagons because I think that's when it can get very dangerous because you start to lose your own brand identity. It's about keeping true to who you really are. 
And finally, one question in this sort of challenge area is something that I um, I want to share with the listeners because it's one thing setting up a business. It's another having it for three to five years. It is quite another to take it over a decade, which I did. I think I just tipped in 13 years. I'm not sure. or Maybe it was 12. But, you know, you and Claire have created a business that is, as you say, 18 years old, but 15 years with product. That is phenomenal. I really mean that. And where how do you where what were your your growing pain challenges and and how have you managed to build something and maintain it in a really different difficult economy i think for us it's about we've we're actually still self-funded so that wow. is a challenge in itself that um is and amazing. i think you know cash flow isn't always easy but For us, it's about staying in control of our own destiny. So it's not about necessarily being the biggest and the best. It's just about creating um, and being passionate about products that we really believe in, that we think make a difference and being um, sort of true to to that and keeping going. And, you know, there'll be some times when it's hard and sometimes that it won't. But what drives us forward is the innovation, is the desire for our products and thinking, gosh, we've got our own business, you know, and working for ourselves and being able to um, put family first sometimes when we need to, always being able to attend, you know, as our children, they have needs too. So I think there's flexibility. And that's for us, that is the definition of success and what drives us forward. It's actually being in charge of our own business destiny. So, Rebecca, what do you think about the words when you hear them, success and failure? What do they mean to you? I think success personally has been something that I'm really proud of. I think I've got two daughters. They're in their teens. They're busy studying at school. And to actually be able to show them that study can, you know, it pays off. You can have a really fulfilling career, um, something that you're very passionate about, but also it, um, you know, it can pay the mortgage. It, it actually can fund um, fund our lives. And I think for me, that's very personally fulfilling that I've managed to do that with my sister ourselves. And failure for you personally? What I do sometimes look back on and think about I could have done better quicker would have been to embrace social media a bit quicker, I think, personally and for the business. I think I'm quite shy, actually, as a person, and I don't really like to showcase personal life too much. But I do realise that I need to get out there more and be proud of what I represent and what I do. So I think I've using the the failure in inverted commas as a as a new challenge, a new opportunity and learnt from it and thinking, actually, I can get out there, I can turn this into a positive. And there's never a, a right or a wrong time to start. So actually, be more bold. Wonderful. So why I'm saying wonderful is that it is time to head for one of the most favourite parts of the show, which is the chocolate break. So Rebecca has nominated for her chocolate, I'm just going to open it up, green and blacks, 85%. So if I pass that across to you, you break some, and I will just give the listeners some facts, although most people know about Green and Black. But Green and Black's was founded in 1991. I think they're now owned by Mondelez. They sold to Cadbury's. They were set up by a phenomenal pair, Craig Sams and Josephine Fairley. And the thing that really um, took off, from what I, I'm aware, was that it was the first organic and fair trade chocolate bar, but they created one called Maya Gold. And this Maya Gold was a mix of spices and citrus notes. And it really confused the palate. It 
intrigued it. And so you had to keep eating it because you were just trying to work it out. And it went crazy. So, um, but really inspirational. And it, I recommend a book later, but there is a brilliant book on um, the green and black story, which is a fantastic read, whether you're into chocolate or not, um, which is written by Craig Sams and Josephine Fairley, his wife. And it's called Sweet Dreams, the Story of Green and Blacks. And I've got a special place in my heart for Joe, actually, which is really why ah. I'm such a fan, because we share a mutual love of gardening. And also Joe is a phenomenal beauty editor and she has literally championed our course since day one. She's so passionate about Balance Me. She runs the Beauty Bible. We've won various Beauty Bible Awards. And I think to share that passion, but also a real friendship. Um, I'm not, a, I don't have a huge sweet tooth, but I do love dark chocolate and it would always be green and blacks and the whole family. We cook with it. We eat it. It's always on our shopping list. And um, oh, there's a special a... place in my heart for Joe. And for, I don't know Craig as well. I have met him, but, but certainly for Joe. So I've met Craig through the chocolate world and not Joe. But I mean, what a superb story. So that is very special. And I've still got some in my mouth. As well. <laughs> but anyway, on we go, on we go. Rebecca, you tuck in. Thank you. So we're heading into the bit of well-being. And for me, I feel that you're, you're, you're an example of how founders can integrate well-being into their lives. There is a funny connection um, that I discovered when I was researching Rebecca which is that your yoga teacher, Iyengar yoga teacher, Tom Logan, Tom. was my yoga teacher back uh, when I was living in Clapham. Incredible guy. I miss him. And, and when I read it, I just thought, I need to find his classes again. I was burnt out. And he said to me, come to the class every week, I mean, every day for a week, which I did. And how it helped me turn around the burnout was phenomenal. So when I read that, I had a little goose pimples. I thought, oh, Tom. Yes, and Tom actually trained with my sister, Claire. So they oh, yeah. trained in Iyengar together um, about 18 years ago, actually, when we, were, when we ran Balanced Being. So there's a special, again, another special place in our heart for Tom. Do you feel that you've pretty much nailed the work-life balance and the wellness, well, wellness side, well-being side? Or do you feel that there are still areas that you could tweak and improve? I mean, what, what, share with the listeners what you do. So um, I feel that there's always room for growth. And, and I think as you reach different stages, your body needs different things, your mind needs different things. And I think it always has to be things that you enjoy doing. So I very much um, embrace yoga from an early age. Claire got me into that. And I've, that's been my constant um, through two pregnancies and sort of a, running the business, um, different types of yoga, but mostly I've stayed with Iyengar. It's a great practice. It's it's um, It pushes me and I, I can always learn more. But I think I, when I hit my 40s, actually, I got really into running and I still do that a lot because I find that's a great, it really helps me de-stress. I can go early morning and go late at night. There's no sort of tying to that. Um, obviously, well-being runs completely through our business and it is about the work-life balance. But whoever really is in balance, I mean, if, if we're honest, there's times I think that's, that's sort of utopia. But I think it's carving out, for me, well-being is about carving out some time for me and that can be around the family. It can be during the day. I think everybody needs a bit of, of space and it's finding what really is the thing that helps helps you. Like you said, with your yoga, that really gave you sort of peace and, and calm. For me, sometimes it's about physical challenge mm -hmm. and sometimes it's about sort of mental stability. I agree. I mean, I was running until I broke my my toe, which still is plaguing me after two weeks. So I've now actually, this is a quick shout out for Caroline 
Jackson, I think she is on YouTube, because I'm now doing her workouts for people who've got injuries with their hurt feet and ankles and stuff. But it is extremely frustrating. Anyway, enough about me. I, I always seem to spin around in that. What I would love to know is how your sleep patterns are. You know, do you find that sleep is, is not a problem? Do you have your phone on or off? So I keep my phone out of the bedroom. I've sort of tried both, but I really do feel it's quite intrusive. So it's it's definitely out of the bedroom. My husband has his in, but keep that on the other side. Um, he, you know, for me, it's about... Um, well, various patterns I've found of late, I haven't slept as well. And actually, that's, again, led to innovation for Claire and me. We've looked at the whole CBD and we've incorporated that into um, two sleep products, actually. We've got our Beauty Sleep Hyalonic Mist because we didn't want just a pillow spray. We wanted something that was quite active and that was also skincare. So this is part of our skin self-care um, well-being um sort of theme that runs through the whole business it's about preparation for sleep because I think that's really important you touched on keeping phones out and I think it's about sort of mentally preparing yourself as as well as physically preparing yourself but then not getting too agitated if you do wake up during the night so I found I like reading so I, I don't mind if I read in the middle of the night that often sends me back to sleep or meditation is something that I do practice as well and just trying to um, clear your mind and, and take yourself off to a happy place. So I'll, I'll always try and take myself down to Cornwall and to the North Cornish coast and think about the waves crashing. And again, that, that helps calm me. But I do feel that as you move through life, and certainly I've found as a woman, there are times where you have no control over your sleep being disturbed too. Um, so you, I just find I have to go with it. That's funny because Pip, who was on the show, also was talking about Cornwall as her favourite hideaway. I find, like you, North Cornwall, it just does it for me. It doesn't matter whether it's snowing or sunny or whatever. Where is your favourite hideaway that that you go to? So we've been going to Travone, which is um, near to Padstow, near Travone's Head, for well, for years, for over forty years as a family, and then we've taken our family back too. So that's very much our our kind of Hopkins family happy place. It's a magical place. Do you um, have a book or a song that you would recommend to our listeners to read or listen to? So I love the um, Neapolitan series. So the Elena Ferranti, um, my brilliant friend. Um, that's it's a, a quartet of books that I really lost myself in about three years ago. And in fact, I'm off to the National next week to see the play. Um, and I don't know any, I've recommended it to so many people. It's this I've most beautiful of story of two um, young girls growing up in Italy and it's all different sort of family um, connections. And it's the most wonderful story. It's basically one of the, the protagonists telling the story of their friendship retrospectively um, spanning 60 years. Um, and it goes, it's four books. Um, it's incredible. Wow, I'm definitely going to get that. A song? Does a song spring to mind? Um, I think Elbow um, is sort of one day like this. Again, it, it's just, it's a very happy, positive song. Um, we listen to it a lot as a family. We've just come, well, last year we rode from um, London to Paris as a family. We were actually raising money for Great Ormond Street and that was our, our song that we would play to spur us on every morning when we were feeling a bit tired. And finally, do you have any tips for our listeners at all? And also bear in mind that um, there could be some solo sort of solopreneurs or small, you know, just one man bands who are trying to spin loads of plates 
and f- struggle to potentially look after themselves, their well-being goes down on the list. What what tips have you got for them? So I think it's surround yourself with um, a really strong network. So be that friends, be that other sort of industry players, um, skill sets that maybe are going to help you. Um, because I think having a team or a tribe around you is really important and not beating yourself up because you might be spinning lots of plates, but you can't pretend that you're great at everything. I think it's recognising what you're good at and then surrounding yourself with um, help from other quarters. And I think also finding a mentor is very, very good, especially if you're a sole um, entrepreneur, of, uh, you know, operating on your own or maybe with a small team because there's so much you can learn from people who've done it before and you don't have to take all their advice but I think it does really help um, and it's good to then stand back and challenge what you're doing and not be afraid to slightly change your path if there's a better way of doing something. That's great thank you very much. Could you share when you have had to have dollop loads of hope and a heck of a lot of patience? So the hope actually um, was three years ago, my daughter was diagnosed, my youngest daughter was diagnosed with a two and a half centimetre hole in her heart. It came as a huge shock. It was a birth defect. She actually had um, appendicitis, which is what brought it on. I feel quite bad because we're my parents, I grew up near the Peak District and we were actually cycling that weekend and she told me that she had tummy ache and I sort of thought, oh, I don't know, you know, it's probably this hill. So I didn't really take it that seriously. And um, then I was called back um, to my parents having a partly sort of halfway down the M1 because actually this had turned into appendicitis but thank goodness because on the back of that the hole was discovered and she had to have open heart surgery and I think as a parent to watch your child she was 11 at the time going through that I had to have a lot of hope and the whole sort of um, intensive care nothing really prepares you for that but she's completely fine very successful operation and on the back of it we actually cycled to Paris to raise money for Great Ormond Street so I think that's where maybe Maybe we had to have a lot of patience because I um, needed to. We needed to do lots of training, um, and I was probably the slowest. Maybe that's the patience they had to have with me. I was always at the back, but we made it, and how we raised fun. over six thousand pounds. So it was great. That is incredible. But how amazing that you managed. Well, they managed to find out what it was and, and sort it out. Absolutely, and operate, and you know, really successfully. And, and funnily enough, always at the time you think, "Gosh, this is." Um, you know, we're a solo case, but the surgeon was operating on three holes that day. So I think that also gives you um, heart that really they know what they're doing. It's the most incredible hospital. And, um, you know, we are so grateful to them for all the care that they gave us as a family. You have incredible products in your range. Thank you. And you are a glowing uh, sort of orb of of health when I when I look at Rebecca. But do you have anything new that you would like to share with us? It's probably not so so new. It's new in the last eighteen months, and we've just won our first award for it, which is very exciting—a beauty industry Oscar. But it's our vitamin C repair they do Oscars. Serum. Well, wow. they, yeah, yeah. The, the cosmetic executive women is. Oh a look, big, there's a yes, bag so being opened, and there's I, a product wow. here for you. Our vitamin C. Oh. The reason I love this is again being busy. Oh, the producer. Hold on a second. He's just saying he wants some. He wants. I think some he wants too, to give yes. it to his wife okay. to keep her happy. Well, he can try it's it mine. in a minute. We can. We can all. You're have the an first experiment. guest who's brought a gift. Yes. I mean, so, wow, we want I, her on the show again. <laughs> this this was a real labour of love because it was something Claire and I wanted to create for a couple of years. We started off with a different ingredient.
comedian, but we um, we were looking for a natural niacinamide actually, but it turned into finding and sourcing a very stable vitamin C. And um, we're so proud of it. It ticks lots of boxes. It's great for hydration, boosts elasticity, targets pigmentation, because we part of the reason that we started on this journey was um, our customers, their second biggest skin concern was pigmentation. So again, really That's when you get that. dark. Dark patches, yeah, oh, age I spots, etc. Sunbathing, sun damage, sun cream. Um, and it's just, it's just great for tone. It's great, as I said, for um, radiance. And I think everyone wants that glow. So this is my absolute staple, daily staple. It's my daily dose of vitamin C. So I brought you some. Wow. So as from now on, everybody, me. I will be glowing. Or if the producer has some, he will be glowing too. Or Henry, his new little helper. I love the packaging. It's so Thank simple. You. It's gorgeous. So that has been a real treat. Thank you, Rebecca, so much for coming on the oh, show. I've really enjoyed it. It's always you, great to go down memory lane. Oh, well, you shared phenomenal pearls of wisdom with our listeners. I really appreciate it. And I salute you and Claire for growing your business for such a long time, maintaining it. And your quality just never, ever alters. It's incredible. Thank you. Well, there's a lot of new innovation on the horizon. So watch this space. Brill, thank you. So the book I'd like to recommend for this episode is not a business book. It's really precious insights into prison life. Now I'm a volunteer, as some of you might know, for fine cell work and I am a volunteer business mentor and I have a really smashing ex-offender mentee at the moment who I'm mentoring and I'm trying to get more of an insight into prisons. But this one is fascinating. It's written by um, a guy called Chris Atkins. It's called A Bit of a Stretch, The Diaries of a Prisoner. He was a documentary filmmaker. He got involved in a slightly dodgy tax funding for his for one of his films, and he ended up in Her Majesty's Prison, Wandsworth, with a sentence of five years. And it's a really valuable insight. The quote for this episode is one by Helen Keller. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. So my thoughts this week have been on um, the power of chat. Now, at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned how I came across Rebecca, which was really through chatting to a neighbour and talking about chocolate and aromatherapy and all that side of things. And that's how I did the collaboration, which was a phenomenal honour for me and a great success. And it helped my business a lot. And another example of the power of chat was that um, I, my um, design guru, not guru, my design god is Paul Smith. It always has been. And my last um, packaging design was my signature, which was inspired by Paul Smith. I was in his store one Christmas. I turned around. I went bright red, I have to confess, because there he was standing there. And I just thought, I've got to grab this moment. So I went up to him very nervous, sort of semi sort of stuttering and just saying, oh, gosh, you're my design god. Anyway, he was the most incredible guy. And I ended up going to see his studio and everything else. So the power of chat is really, really powerful. And it doesn't, even if you feel shy, even if you feel your words are really clumsy, you just never know where it can lead you. And there was one very good article I read um, in, actually it was on LinkedIn, 
about a guy called, his name was Tundi Okawali, and he had failed his second year in his law exams. He went to work in Sainsbury's, and for six months he asked everybody who came his way when he was filling shelves or working the cash out if they could give him or if they knew of anyone who could offer him legal work experience. He won an MBE in 2010 for his... Uh, work with urban lawyers, and he is now the governing master of the bench at the Inn and Temple. So it just shows the power of chat is phenomenal. Go out there, chat, and see what it brings you. And let me know. Please email me, pop it on a social media post. Tell me what you have done through the power of chat, because I would love to hear and share it on an episode. Thank you, my lovely listeners, for finding hope and patience. I'll be back with another story soon, so make sure you subscribe to get the latest episode. And if you like what you hear, please feel free to give us a positive rating, subscribe and spread the word, because sharing is caring. I would also love to know what you'd like to hear more of, less of and importantly, none of. Just let me know via the website. So until next time, keep that sparkle. Bye. Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk or find Amelia on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Hope and Pat.